Everybody and welcome to the Word on the Hill. We are the Lanky Guys. I'm Scott Powell, and I'm Father Peter Mosset. And here we are. Here we are. And uh, in case you're just tuning in, maybe from Catholic Answers um, Live, who you got to hear Scott Powell, or from uh, Catholic Stuff You Should Know, or from just anything gen- else that starts with Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> anything else? Word of mouth. I, I'm sure that. Um, Michael McCarthy, Tori McCarthy would have uh, told you about us. I don't know who else. Ah, who, I don't, who else talks about us? Who doesn't talk about That's us? That's what I'm saying. That's so we just think that you're awesome and we're glad you're with us. We do. And we're entering into the second sun, second second <laughs> Father Peter's nursing a cold today, so everything he says. I'm a little bit. cold. We're we're all a little tired and sick. It's, well, and it's very, that's different from sick and tired, which is a different world. Oh, yeah, it's world. different than sick and tired. I, I made very, I took kid care to not say sick and tired. Kid and, kid care? <laughs> did kid you, did care. you put on your kid cats? I, yeah, I had the kid kids. <laughs> the reason I'm so tired is because of kid care. Oh, two year old who just turned two yesterday. Oh. He came into the room six or seven times and kept <laughs> pulling my, my shirt and saying, Daddy, I'm tired. Or Daddy, I'm thirsty. Daddy, diaper. So. <laughs> What what kept him up so late? We had a lot of pizza, and I think it made him thirsty. Oh, baby! Because the same thing happened to me. I was <laughs> independently drinking milk. Is it is it the is it salty pepperonis? Is that I don't know what it is. I was talking to Annie about this yesterday. I have this thing, and as long as I've as long as I can remember, I cannot eat pizza without having this tremendous desire to just guzzle gallons of milk. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought everybody had that. Like, it's almost uncontrollable. I finished a gallon of milk last night at 2 a.m. Oh, my gosh. I didn't drink the whole, the whole thing. I, was like, I finished it. I was like, dude, uh, if people drink enough milk, don't they die? Or is that water? Dude, <laughs> what's that even mean? There is the milk challenge. There, that, did you ever do that in college? Where they say it's impossible to drink a full gallon of milk in under an hour without either throwing up or dying. <laughs> oh, no. So wow. we always did that in college. We'd always have the, the gallon challenge. We used you to didn't do that. No, no. We Where used... did you grow up? Well, I Who grew up in you? Denver. Yeah, we're different, Boulder. <laughs> we have different interests here. I remember with my brother Neil Musset. Um, I remember being at a, at the lunch table at Matchbuff Catholic High School. And you didn't go to Matchbuff, did you? I did. I went to Matchbuff. I didn't even know that. Yeah, I went there for You're two kidding. years. Yeah, huh. freshman sophomore year, and I go just go Matchbuff. Matchbuff mm-hmm. fighting tigers or <laughs> <laughs> buffaloes, dude. I'm, buffaloes. A, I'm, a, I'm a buffalo in yeah, the depths, man. I'm I'm double buff. Nice. So what we would sit at the lunch table and we would do shots of banana quick, dude. So we would get a gallon, <laughs> a gallon of milk, and then we would make it into a gallon of banana quick, which is a whole nother level of quick. That's awful. That and, sounds terrible. And then there would be shot glasses. And then it was just like, could you drink, brother, under the table with the banana quick? That sounds terrible. Well, hey, we are the Lanky Guys, and we hope that you um, have a, all of that. A, a milk drinking contest as we're talking. Pause the podcast now and drink milk the whole time we're talking. And if you can maintain this, you win an award for being really awesome. You do. And really what we're doing here is a spiritual milk drinking contest. That's what we're... 
That's what we're doing. And, and, and it's going to come out of our nose today. <laughs> today. Today it will come out of our nose because we have amazing readings. Today. Oh, baby. Here we go. We're, we're lamenting <laughs> that we got the best readings of the year and both of us feel like garbage physically. <laughs> but that's just, it just shows the strength of the Lord more powerfully. Yeah, that's true. When he must increase and we must decrease. Yeah. I just wish he didn't do it this way. You know. Well, here Makes we go. So, so we, be- we better jump into Genesis. Otherwise, we're going to get lost. No, we're cool. Genesis chapter 15. Hallelujah. What do you got? Hold on. I can't say that. No, it's Lent. I know, man. I'm sorry, everybody. So my uh, two-year-old, side note, you know Samuel. He does just during Mass, he'll just shout and sing Hallelujah the whole time, which it's really hard to try to make him be quiet when he's doing holy things. But on Ash Wednesday, did we tell you this? On Ash Wednesday, he looked up at Annie, and I don't even know how he knew, but he looked up at Annie and just went, I miss Hallelujah. (laughs) <laughs> right in the middle of mass <laughs> I love him Happy yeah. birthday So no hallelujah <clears throat> Well I think we sh- I think the Lord should take Samuel outside And say look up at the stars And count them if you can mm, Kind of like he did to Abraham He did Abraham. You want to talk about that? Abraham Me too This is a cool passage This is the coolest passage I think I, I want you to tell me about this today Because I have a little bit of a sense Okay But man I need some depth so let's, let's check this out. This is Genesis. So it's a passage from Genesis 15 that jumps around a little bit. And just to put things in context, Abram right now, who's who's the father of the faith and all, all he, he's the one character that all Christians, Jews, and Muslims all sort of share in common because he is the, he's the centerpiece. He's the foundation of everything. And he was this guy who was living a good life. He was kind of living the dream. He had lots of stuff and, you know, a wife and goods and cattle and all sorts of stuff. And God asked Abraham to pack it up. <laughs> To trust in him and say, I want you to start moving. I want you to move to a place and get everything together and start going. And I'll show you where I want to lead you. And he has this tremendous faith that he actually does it. He follows God and he goes for it. And the Lord gives Abraham a series of promises. And he says, if you follow me, if you trust me, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to first give you descendants. And then from your descendants, remember they, they him and uh, Abraham and Sarai, at the time, they were barren. They were older. So they were afraid that they could never have children, which is the one thing they wanted. So God says, no, no, no. I'm going to bless you with kids. You're going to have children. And through your descendants, you're going to have land. There's going to be a promised land that they have. They're mm-hmm. going to have a, a dynasty, a kingdom. And then eventually, through your descendants, all nations will be blessed. Mm-hmm. And so in Genesis chapters uh, 15, 17, and 22, you get God talking about each of those promises. So here in this one, he's he's talking about the descendancy. You're going to have kids. And so he's on his way. He's kind of transient at this point. He's on his way up to where the Lord's leading him. The Lord took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can, just so. He added, so shall your descendants be. Abram put his trust in his faith in the Lord who credited it to him as righteousness. So here's this scene where Abram's told to go outside and count the stars if you're able to. And he has faith somehow, and that's reckoned as righteousness. It's kind of a strange line unless you read on. And if you keep reading the text, what it says in a few verses... Well, well, this is this is what I know. I'm I mean, I'm, we're up in Boulder, and we hmm. have NIST and NOAA. With NOAA is the National uh, Oceanic, Oceanic and, and Atmospheric, Atmospheric Administration. Administration. Best bathrooms in Boulder County, dude. Absolutely, but they're I mean, a huge part. How do you know about their bathrooms? Uh, when I went to high school, we would. Don't worry about it. Okay, so I mean, so so I think that they're in the business. Um, I mean, partly of counting stars up there. Yeah, no. totally, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is a big deal, and people are finding them all the time and trying to, like, I mean, we haven't counted the stars to this day. No. I always tried to when I was little, though. Did you try to do that? 
Well, with light pollution in downtown Denver, I mean, it was pretty easy for me. To not count them? Or to count the ones you could see? To count the ones I could yeah. see. Cause, yeah. but, then you, but now that I like, go off-roading, you sleep on top of the Jeep, and you're looking up there, and you're like, dude, this is thick. Yeah, that's cool. That's really. Or really you cool. watch Carl Sagan, and you're like, dude. Billions and billions of <laughs> galaxies. Isn't that? Yeah, billions that's and right guy, billions right? of yeah, galaxies. Yeah, 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 you're doing it. That was a good Carl. Thanks, dude. man. Appreciate it. You're welcome. So why is this reckoned to him as righteousness, do you think? Because there's too many stars to count, right? Yeah, this. I mean, we still can't do it to this day. No, we can't, but there's more to it. So if you read on, if you jump down to the end of our reading, it says, then when the sun had set and it was dark, there appeared the smoking flame and all this other stuff. Yeah. So if you read the whole text carefully, it says, God told Abram to go outside, number the stars if he's able to. Then later on, when the sun went down... This and that happened. Yeah. So that means if you're reading it carefully, when Abraham is told to go number the stars, what time of day is it? Hold on, hold on. Did, did you just juke me? He said, hold on, what did he say? <laughs> what are you talking about? Okay, hold on. So he says... So he says, go outside, number the stars if you can. Yeah. And then if you jump down to the very oh, end of the passage... Verse says, 12, as yeah. the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. Yeah. Hold on. Which suggests that when he was told to go and count the stars... What time of day was it? It was the middle of the day. It was probably the middle of the day. How the, many stars can you count in the daytime? Well, if you count the well, moon, if you count the sun, a, or oh. the moon, <laughs> <laughs> two, potentially two, so, if any, if any. And then he goes on to say, "Your your descendants are going to be like the sand of the sea, the, the sand of the sea, and all this stuff." So he's asked to go out and number the stars when you really can't see any stars. Man. So what, what is reckoned to him as righteousness yeah. is this idea that he's able to trust in God despite the fact that he is completely blind. I mean, if it's the daytime, do you know the stars are out there? Yeah, I mean, you trust that they're there. You can't see them, though. Yes. So that's what Abraham's being asked to do. Do you trust me that you are going to have descendants and I am going to bless you even though you can't see any of it yet? So that's what's so beautiful about this passage, I think. Man, that, that was, it's a lot what it feels like in Lent. When yeah, you're like, totally. You're like... Will you trust me that if you let go of earthly attachment mm. in the matter of food, of prayer, of, of time and prayer, fasting and almsgiving, if you give those things that it will actually be um, generative? Yeah, totally. That's, that's a lot of the experience that we have. That's a big word. Hey, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so there's more, though. That's really cool, and that's sort of what frames this whole reading this week. But there's more to it. So Abraham yeah, is reckoned as righteousness. He, he trusts that there are stars out there, basically. But there's more. And if you keep reading in the middle part, it says, Then he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the, the Ur of the Chaldees, I, which is Babylon, now present-day Iraq, by the way, um, to give you as a possession. He says, Oh, Lord God, he asked, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So you're going to give me this land. That's what you promised. Yeah. And I trust you because I know that the stars are out there, even though I can't see them. And mm -hmm. so I trust you, even though I can't see it. But he says, you got to give me a sign. Give me something that, that I can go on. Because Jews demand signs and Greeks demand knowledge. According to Romans. Right? Romans. Yeah. So he demanded a sign. And which I dig. I was actually just preaching today. I was like, I'm more like the Jews in the sense that I like signs. Knowledge, di I dig it. I dig a rational argument. Knowledge is okay. But knowledge is okay. But dude, a sign signs rocks my cool. world. Prophetic action. Let's bring this. But the thing that's kind of beautiful is that the Lord gives him one. He says, okay. So here's what you're going to do. He says, okay, bring me a heifer, bring me a she-goat, bring well, me a turtle dove. What is a heifer? Uh, a baby cow. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah, I think it is a baby cow. A baby that, cow. That, that makes I sense. Yeah. I, it, I just am not a farmer. 
You're not? I'm not a rancher. You have that beard. <laughs> <laughs> Keep my face warm. All right, so bring me a heifer, bring me a she-goat, a turtle dove, a ram, and a pigeon. And he's going to be asked to cut these animals in half. And God says, okay, take half the goat, half the bull, and put it on one side, and then the other half on the other side. So it's, it's kind of gross. It's a weird scene. <laughs> cut the animals and split them in two and put one side on one, one side on the other one. Um, the Hebrew word for covenant. So this is actually God making a covenant with Abraham. Do you have any idea what the Hebrew word for covenant is? Let's be Socratic. <laughs> oh no! Well, I, I know that um, I know that the number seven is associated with it's the word. It's the sign for it's... a covenant, but it's not the word. So the seven is the, is the covenant sort of symbol. Oh, okay. But the Hebrew it's it's a word called berit, b e r i t. Okay. And the word so Hebrew is a weak language, which means one word can mean a bunch of different things. I always thought that was considered rich in that sense because. Um, I don't know. We we because I, I was rich like would be Hebrew. like you know how they say you know the the certain uh, certain Eskimo tribes have you know ten different words for snow. Yeah, that's that's a rich language. Got it. Weak would be if it's it's weak is maybe a bad word. It's an efficient. It's an it's an economically efficient language. Yes, because you you really have to get context of a yeah. word to understand, which you have to have a tradition to be able to grasp totally. what the berit is in this. Yeah, but do you know what berit literally means? No, it's a verb and it means to cut. Oh. So literally to cut something means to covenant. So it's the same word. So that's why whenever there is covenants made in the Old Testament, something mm-hmm. is usually being cut. Sacrifice this animal. You know, you remember when you were little kids, I don't know if you did this, but you know. Cross you had, like, my heart and hope to cross die. Cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle yeah. in my eye. You're doing something painful. You know, when you did, did you do the blood brother thing when you poke a little. Nah, man. I was already. I did spit brothers once with somebody. Dude, that's less painful. Yeah. I think I was already scared of AIDS. <laughs> That's that's probably I, a healthy fear. Yeah, it was, but there it is was an isn't urban there just life. something in our psyche though? Even little kids, the fact that we have that rhyme, cross my heart and hope to die. There's this idea that we associate making a, a deep promise to someone with pain. Yeah, or, with or blood. Some kind with blood. It's it's weird how that's kind of in our psyche. But that's kind of what we're we're seeing here. And this is a really, really ancient practice. And you can you can read about it from all sorts of other nations that were happening in the ancient Near East at the time. But God's taking a common cultural practice. And he's basically going to cut covenant with Abraham to do this. And what he's doing here, what God is doing, is something called the self-maledictory oath. And again, this is really common in the ancient world. And the self-maledictory oath, it, it actually, this is what we call it. It comes from the Latin, uh, the uh, Latin malediction. term malum. malum. Yeah, malediction, which is rooted back to malum, which means evil. Yeah. So essentially, it's it's basically saying, the little kid saying, if if I'm not faithful to my promise, may I be like these animals. And cut in half, you know, cross my arm and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. And what you would do in the ancient world, you'd you'd cut the animals, you separate them in half, and then both parties would walk through the middle. And if you can, you know, it, it's it just I don't mean to get graphic. We just ate a bunch of spaghetti with red <laughs> sauce, but you know, it's nasty. I mean, if you're walking, they wore sandals. You'd be getting blood and guts on your shoes. I mean, it would be a memorable experience. Yeah, it would. And so you're saying, no, I I will be like this if I'm unfaithful to my promise. Yikes! But here's what's weird about it. Abraham doesn't walk through. Yeah. Usually both parties do, but what does? Well, he sees a, a burning pot and a smoke, right? Which is actually going to be a sign later on in the book of Exodus. Remember, they fire the, follow the, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Usually in Scripture, when you see fire or cloud, it's a, it's a symbol for God. So remember the burning bush, mm. fire and smoke. And that, that's really common because God, remember, commanded not to make idols to try to figure out what he looked like. Yes. So when he would appear in the Old Testament, he appeared like fire, smoke, because there, fire is something you just can't quite wrap your hands around, right? It's always changing. It's always moving. It's yeah. amorphous, sort of. So that's the image God uses for himself. So mm. he sees 
God passing through these animals. So God is basically saying, if I'm not faithful to what I said I would do, may I be like these animals. That's how that's how sure you can be of the promise I'm making. Yeah. But the logical question I always think when I when I read this and teach this is that okay, if God just passed through the animals and said, I will be cut in half like an animal if I'm not faithful, I mean the logical question is what? Well, you're God. You can't be how can you cut God in half? That's not really possible, right? No. And the point is exactly. You can't do it. So if God can't actually have that happen to him, that's how you know he's going to be completely faithful. Or at mm. least that's how the ancient rabbis looked at that. Oh, that's awesome. They're like, that's how that's how sure this is. But again, all of it's based on the stuff that that Abram can't see at the time. Now, isn't this also the the, the this time? Because it says as the sun was going down, which mm-hmm. means twilight. Yeah. So in some ways, isn't there a tradition of the evening sacrifice offered at yeah, twilight? Exactly. Which doesn't from exist this? yet. But it goes back to this. Yeah, yeah. This is a, that's actually where that comes from, I believe. Yeah. Well, and then and then we have a deep sleep fell on Abram, which is echoing what we see that happened with Adam. With Adam. Yeah. That is. He, so he so he's actually being brought, and 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 something is being brought yeah. from him. Yes. It, which is interesting because we can actually foreshadow that and see see in a very intense way the side of Christ being opened oh, and a deep man, sleep yeah. being brought on him. Totally. And, he's um, the new Adam. He's the new Abram. He's embodying all this stuff. Embodying. And, embodying. And, and he's actually getting broken. Yeah, he's getting cut. He's getting cut. Yeah. And actually living, like actually taking the punishment of this covenant onto himself. Absolutely. It's not, But it's not because he was unfaithful, but it's because the other side of the party was unfaithful. Man. But he doesn't ask us to be merely cut. He actually does it himself. He, mm-hmm. he takes it on. It's really beautiful. It really is. Which is a good kind of lead into the psalm, which, you know, nothing too in-depth to say except that, that it's that this is what it's speaking about. The Lord is my salvation. He's my light. Who do I have to fear? Even though I can't see him, even though I can't see the realities around me all the time, I know that, and I can take refuge in this. This is why we've prayed this in the Psalter for so long, because this is the reality. And, and he says, he actually, it's in the third stanza, right? Hide not your face from me. Like... Uh, so many things are hidden. You know, I can't see with my eyes. I, I want to be able to see you, if nothing else. Yeah. It's kind of a neat meditation. Man, it is. But this ties pretty pretty awesomely now um, back into the second reading and f- flowing us into the gospel. Yes. Which is which is just awesome, which is yeah. so... Um, I meant to bring a book. I had a quote to read about the gospel. That's okay. I can paraphrase what, it. What book? Um, I'll paraphrase it. I know it well enough. Okay. We'll get there. <laughs> we better get there. Then. Let's get it. F- get, so on, get on it. Before we do, Philippians. I was being a little bit flippant before. Flippant. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking much today because the truth is, is that, is that I'm, I'm, I'm just lo- I like, I'm just hanging with this, man. I like it's cool stuff. It's just the best. It just totally is, is landing me into this like beautiful contemplation of the cross of Christ. Well, it gets ugly in the second reading. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so saddle up. Because so the second reading comes from the book of Philippians, right? A little tiny bit of context for Philippians, because I think okay. it matters. Um, Philippian, Philippi was an ancient city in the ancient world. This, Philippi was a really important historical city. Um, well, well, there are a couple of Caesarea Philippi's, right? Yeah, is, but this is just Philippi. This is just Philippi, first. okay. And Philippi was named after Philip of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great. Oh. He was the one that really formed the Greek Empire. So he named this city after his dad. 
Great. Um, I think the Greeks dest- or the Romans destroyed it at one point and then rebuilt it. I'm not sure. It has, it has a really long history, but by the time that Paul's writing, well, maybe a couple hundred years before that, it had become actually basically a retirement community for members <laughs> of the Roman military. Oh. So Philippi was great. It was a coastal city. It was beautiful. It was right on the beach. If you lived in Philippi, you automatically had the rights of a Roman citizen. So you didn't have certain taxes. You were free of certain you know, rules from the empire. And you, you, you lived a pretty good life. It was a good place to be a citizen of. And citizenship in Philippi was automatic citizenship in Rome. And again, at one point at least, most of the people who lived there were retired military. So you can imagine a lot of big, tough guys who gave their life for the empire, who served the Caesars and gave everything. And now they're kind of reaping the benefits yeah. by living in this you know, first century Florida, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> you know, driving their RVs and their, <laughs> their Cadillac chariots around. But it's, it's kind of an important context because Paul talks all the time in Philippians about citizenship yeah. and where your true citizenship lies, which he, he, talk about, he talks about being citizens of the kingdom and citizens of heaven, which is significant because these guys are thinking, well, I'm a citizen of Rome. That's what I fought. That's what my comrades died for. That's what I'm living for now in Philippi. It's a big deal. So he uses the idea of citizenship almost in every chapter to, to drive the idea. He's flipping that idea on its head. Mm-hmm. No, 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 that's not your real citizenship. Yeah, mm-hmm. Rome is great. That's fine. But that's not what he's what he's pushing at. And this is not what you meant to pour your entire lives out for. Exactly. Which is, you know, it's something much greater. Exactly. And actually, in, in, it's in Philippians, I think it's in chapter 2, that he gives that great line, that the canonic hymn, the hymn of kenosis, the self-emptying. Remember, Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at, but he poured himself out and emptied himself. Which, again, is what he's encouraging them to do. you got to pour yourself out. And, again, these are tough guys. This, you know, probably a lot of pride in that city. So it, it, I think it's a neat context. Yeah. But here at the tail end of the letter, he talks about being imitators of him, doing like – and actually right before this in the text – so Paul gives that, in chapter 2, he gives that famous passage about emptying, Christ emptied himself. Then in chapter 3, he puts his money where his mouth is, and he says, look, I've done this. I was a Pharisee, I was a Jew among Jews, I was the tribe of Benjamin, all this stuff. He says, I count it all as nothing, as refuse, as, as scubula in the Greek, which mm-hmm. means poop, and stuff you flush down the toilet. <laughs> but he, he basically does it. He says, I have poured myself out. And then you turn the page, and he says, now be imitators of me. In other words, pour yourself out. Spend yourself. Spend yourself. Kenosis yourself. But if you jump down a couple lines, it says, For many, as I have often told you, and now even tell you in tears, conduct themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ. Which is always, that's a line that always makes me shake a little, you know, enemy. How do you become an enemy of the cross of Christ? Well, Well, according to Paul, if you want to be an enemy of the cross of Christ, you don't have to spit on a crucifix or blaspheme God's name. What do you have to do? glory in your shame and have your stomach as your God. Yeah. That's all it takes. And occupy your mind with just earthly things. Right. Which is just different than we think about this. It's not, you know, I'm going to break a crucifix in half or something. No, it's when you make your God your belly, which is, I think, our culture's biggest problem. You know, what do we want? We want cushier cushions. We want warmer houses. We want nicer cars. We want fancier technology well but we make it a god none of those things are bad they're fine things yes but at the same time there's a certain secular sense that we are um 
that we th- th- that's actually not the right thing to do. It, and there I, is. And, the and, world is changing, and and that's why I think that there's a certain secular movement, the, the inv- secular environmental movement. And with food, it's it's like okay, hold on, let let's actually purify our food. Let's be better stewards. Let's look at yeah. how we're using energy. Let's let's actually reduce, reuse, recycle. Like like that's the in that's some ways true. that's the secular answer to it, which is is good or a good thing. It tells you there there's a, a deep just human <clears throat> desire for that aside yes. from revelation. Yes, but but it ultimately goes into law. And not ultimately into the spirit, which it's mm-hmm. external constraints can only go so far because there's yeah. a there's a small amount of people and they're saying do this and people can get the rationale a little bit. That's yeah, true, but at the same time, it's the con- it's the conversion of the heart that actually lends itself to saying, hold on, I have dominion. I actually have been given this. We see this in Genesis. This is our inherent earthly. Yeah. Uh, a humanly um, gift, yeah. and then we're able to actually live out of the spirit of saying this, it's for an end that's God and not for an end in itself, and that's because, the... because it can become earthly thinking rather than just actually launching into a platform to see something much greater, well, which is point. God. <clears throat> that's the point, though. I mean, is that because we have this role as stewards, which it's a phrase we toss around all the time, we can't worship the things that come out of the thing that we're stewarding over, right? I mean, that's what he's saying. It's it's. The earth is beautiful and it's wonderful. I mean, but we, you know, here in Boulder, I mean, how many people look at the beautiful flat irons of the Indian peaks and we want to worship that, Yeah. which is somewhat of a logical conclusion. If you don't know there's anything else and you see this beautiful reflection of something to be driven to want to worship that. Yes. But that's, that's wrong headed. Yes. And that's worshiping in a certain sense, our bellies and the things that are coming out of this world that, that God created. That's, that's the problem he's talking about in Romans, right? You're worshiping these, these stone and wood things. They're fruits of the earth, but they're not, they're not God. No. That's interesting. That's why. That's why. That's why I, it's, it's funny because I, I think about people like bragging about their um, sexual liaisons mm. as glorying in their shame. And I think a lot of the oh, music, the, the the contemporary music that's getting pumped out, that has a lot of very very base realities. It's, dude, it's just it's like bragging on some bad stuff. You do not so want nice. to be bragging on that stuff. I don't want to go over the river with some of this stuff. Now, there's some very artistic hip hop, and there's yeah. some things, but at the same time, you know, bragging about shooting people and and money and girls and drugs and. All these things that just ultimately tear apart the nature of the human person, glorying in your shame, and 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 then feeding that to people. I'm like, whoa, brother, yeah. you got to watch yourself. You got to be careful what you record, yeah, and what you put out on the internet. Absolutely. That's why I I always make um, Scott edit this thing thoroughly, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying crazy stuff. You well, guys don't even know it's like it's crazy. You have no idea what we edited from today. <laughs> It's quite a bit. You, you don't know what you you don't know what we've edited from each one of these. I know. Maybe maybe someday we'll put out just a special a blooper. recording of just all of the edits. Blooper clip. No, we can't do that. No, we can't. That'd be very bad. No, it wouldn't be that bad. Okay, no, it would be fine. Anyway, yeah, we don't want to glory in, in shame. No, no, we're glorying in shame. Shoot. Okay, the gospel. Let's glory in something else. Okay. So it's the because transfiguration. We want to glory in the glorified body of Christ. Woo! Because He will change us to be like Him. Yeah. So, with the song that you heard at the beginning of the podcast today was actually a meditation on the Transfiguration by a very obscure uh, Christian artist. Well, he wouldn't call himself a Christian artist, but boy, howdy, is he. Um, his name is Sufjan Stevens. His parents were like 
um, Islamic, um, or they, they like got into Islam and then they named him Sufyan, but he was American and got raised in Montessori schools. He's cool though. He's a stud. There's a shout out. I'm sure he listens. I'm sure he listens. (laughs) 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 Yeah, not really. So the transfiguration, this is Luke's account of it. And Luke, it's kind of, I know it shows up at least in Matthew, but Luke gives a unique account of it. Luke's is different. And um, in his book, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Father, Pope Benedict Sixteenth, who, what are Get, we going to call him in a couple of weeks? I don't know, he's dude. he's not Holy Father anymore. I don't know. Two weeks. That guy. He gave us two weeks. That's all I know, he man. He gave us two weeks. Is he just going to be Joey now? Father Joe? <laughs> dude, it's going to be Papa Ratza. Papa Ratza. <laughs> anyway. Papa Ratza, Father Father Joe, I don't, Pope he, Benedict the Sixteenth. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, the Holy Holy Roman Pontiff, Pope. The Holy Roman former Pontiff. Yeah, the the, the Pontiff formerly known as the Benedict the Sixteenth. We gotta figure this out. Yeah, we never had to deal I, with this. I think the Archdiocese said something to me, but they, they they just said stop mentioning him, stop mentioning the Pope. Uh, <laughs> and w- come come like the 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 date that uh, the twenty eighth. Wait, who are you talking about? They I've never t- heard of him before. Yeah. Benedict the sixteenth. Never heard. <laughs> you, you shall no longer utter his name. He who shall not be named, dude. He's he's a, he's totally a baller for he's having doing that. Yeah, seriously. But he had a great book, Jesus of Nazareth, and it's a three volume set, which is awesome. But in the first one, which is just about Jesus's earthly ministry, then the mm-hmm. second one's about Holy Week. The third one's about the infancy narratives. But in the first one, he has a, a mind blowing meditation on the Transfiguration. Um, which is really cool. So look, look at what it says. This is Luke. He says, Jesus put, took Peter, James, and John, or Peter, John, and James, and he went up to the mountain to pray. And one of the things that the Pope points out is that Luke is the only one of the Gospels that tells you Jesus's intention going up to the mountain. Mm-hmm. The others just say, well, he went up on the mountain and this thing happened. Luke alone says he went on the mountain to pray. And so the the Holy Father said that the transfiguration, when he starts glowing and shining, is what it looks like when Jesus prays. So Whoa. it's Jesus's prayer embodied. What does it look like when the Father talks to the Son? Well, He lights up. Was it, it was just a really cool image. Oh, that's the best. And so, so he he was praying, and his face changed in appearance. His clothing became dazzling white, and behold, two men were conversing with him. Now, who else in the Bible went up on a mountain and came down dazzling white? Moses, man. Moses. And so the Holy Father, too, he, he talks, well, what's the difference here? You know, is it just the same deal? And he said, no, what, what, what the, the idea you get is that when Moses was glowing and his face shone, it was as if something, a light was shining on him from without. Oh. But when Jesus has it, it's as if a light is coming out of him. He's actually exuding light, not just having something shined on him. That's beautiful. He is light. And especially in prayer, he becomes light, which is really, really just a cool image. Yeah, it was funny. I was talking to a, a fellow priest, uh, Father Jim Thermos, mm. and uh, he he has, he has this meditation where all weight comes from the fall. That in fact, the original intention was from of the body was that it it had substance, but the it, but it was it was lighter than it actually was. Would you maybe call it lanky? Lanky. <laughs> <laughs> so so in fact, actually, the redeemed form. <laughs> Of of me is lanky. Mm-hmm. So you're living the redeemed. I'm, I'm living the redeemed. <laughs> you will be no different in the resurrection. <laughs> Excellent. I will float away as all those little grandmothers used to ask me when I first was ordained. Really? 
Yeah, there's lots. Dude, if you're skinny, if only they knew. Dude, if you get, if, oh, you mean in that? Not because you were holy. No, no. <laughs> like you were gonna levitate yeah, away. If you're skinny, man, you will get. Like everybody thinks that it's it's bad if you have extra weight. Man, so you will never hear the end of it. If you're yeah. really skinny, they're That's like, true. wow, how do you find clothes that small? And you're like, how did you get skinny jeans? Did you go shopping at Gap Kids? Like, <laughs> You're not that skinny. I used to be, bro. But then, <laughs> but then I ate lots of McDonald's. Yeah, you did. Actually, no, I, I not I, anymore though. You better know. No, I get. I like heavy whipping cream on my coffee. <laughs> Who doesn't? And mm. I have it when I come here. Yep. We, right. we we diverge. We this is like the best stuff ever. How could we be talking about such mundane things? People were talking about the resurrected body. The glorified oh yeah, body. that's right. That's, that's cool. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. We're cool. So, uh, behold, he was conversing with Moses and Elijah. Now, why is he talking? To, why, why Moses and Elijah? I mean, of all the people that Jesus could be transfigured on the mountain with, why them? Do you, do you know? Yeah. Why? Because both Moses and Elijah, hold on, let me make sure I get this right, because I haven't thought about this in a while, but Elijah was taken up in the fiery chariot, mm-hmm. and... So was, and Moses was taken up as well? No, no he died on Mount Tabor. He died on Mount Tabor? No, not, not Tabor, not Mount Nebo. Mount Nebo. Nebo. Not Tebow mm-hmm. for all you Denverized, but not Nebo. Nebo. So, gosh, why Moses then? So who is Moses? What did Moses do in the Old Testament that was most significant? He, he led the Exodus, yes, but how is Moses remembered for the Jewish people? I, what I else don't... did he do? What did he give us? I mean, the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant? No. The tablets of stone? Yes. The, the law of... The, the law. The law. He gave us the... I mean, we call it the law of Moses, right? Oh, yeah. So the old... The, the Pentateuch, the, the the books of Moses are ascribed to him. So what is... Moses is understood to the Jewish people as the law giver. That's what he does. He gave the Ten Commandments and the law and Deuteronomy and everything else. So for the Jews, he embodies the law. And Jesus actually says, you know, as you've heard as Moses said, he always just... he'll he, Moses becomes shorthand for Jesus when he's talking about the law. Ah, so, yeah, yeah. so he's the law. So who is Elijah? What the, did Elijah do? The prophets. The I mean, prophets. He, he, is he embodies the, he, the, the prophets. prophets. Absolutely. So, and again, I, I'm ripping all this off of the Pope, but what he articulates it well, you know, that what's going on here, you have essentially the law and the prophets, the Old Testament are talking to Jesus. What are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus, which is the church's ancient understanding that everything in the Old Testament is actually pointing toward the new and pointing toward Jesus. And the Holy Father says, here it is embodied. Look, here's the Old Testament. The law and the prophets are talking to and about Jesus, which is what the Bible does, mm. which is just a neat, isn't it a neat that's the image? Best. But he says that's why it's them. It's not that they're necessarily the most significant people in the Old Testament, but they embody the Bible, which is cool. Which is cool, which is, which is exactly the, the source of the conversion of my heart, heart towards Christ. <laughs> of your heart. The conversion of my heart towards Christ um, was um, was this recognition that um, this has all been prepared. Yeah. This this was an elaborate recipe. Yeah. That the Lord, His mighty hand, was was helping us to see, and because these stories are all inspired. But man, when you see that they actually find their fulfillment, it's not. It, it's it's like it's like going from you know watching a two D movie to a three D movie. And that's that, cool. that actually draws you in, and that you're in that space that, that you're not separate from this. And that's so, a cool image. so they and these and these cats they wanted to talk to to Jesus specifically about the new Exodus. Yeah, and that's what it says next. What what are they actually talking about? They appeared in glory and spoke of his Exodus. Oh, it's the best. So, what was the first Exodus? 
in a nutshell. It was uh, Passover. Uh, Moses was supposed to take the uh, the Israelites into the Promised Land, out of From, Egypt. Yeah, and what was Egypt to them? Egypt was the nations. I don't know the the Gentiles. The... Well, what what was their state in Egypt though? Slavery. Slavery. So I mean, in the nutshell, like you said, Exodus is moving from slavery to a promised land. That's what the old Exodus was. So now they're talking about what Jesus is going to do, which is a new Exodus in Jerusalem. So what does Jesus do in Jerusalem? He goes up on the cross and he has a new Exodus in which we are taken then from slavery into freedom, into a new promised land, but a different kind of slavery not just political slavery. Yeah, but a much deeper one to sin, Satan, which is just which is just epic because yeah. we because the old Passover, which was this amazing Exodus, the entry, you know, th- th- this moment, it was the you had to sacrifice the lamb, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, 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 and put yeah. the blood on the doors to yeah. to signify to the Egyptians that um, you have totally rejected their god of this lamb, right? And you smeared the blood on your doors and said, "Bring it." I yeah. mean, like it was the most <laughs> courageous move ever. I mean, it would really? be, it would be like, you know, I, I can't even imagine an analog in this day. I mean, it it would it would be it would I be cr- it would be crazy. I mean, it was it was like the most offensive possible thing you could do. Yeah. It, um. And and then and then they had to kind of hang out, and they say he said, you know, get ready to get ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Be ready. Pack your bags. <laughs> but Jesus is who we call the Lamb of God, and we know from the Book of Revelation that there is a Lamb standing as though he were slain. Did we talk about this? Were you in the class when I talked about this? No, I man, I couldn't. No, no, it's okay. But in the text, so in the Greek, so Revelation was originally written in Greek. What most of our Bibles say is, I saw a lamb standing as though slain. Yes. Which is not what the original language says. It says originally, I saw a lamb standing slain. It didn't Uh, look like he was slain. He wasn't kind of slain or he appeared to be slain. It's a lamb slain, period. But standing. Standing, though, which is so much more powerful. I don't know why we translate it that way. It's so much more powerful because because it, be, it makes it kind of abstract actually standing as though yeah. as though he, he were slain. Like he was slain no, he of. was slain, but he's standing. Yeah. He has been crucified, but he is resurrected right. and transfigured before you. Exactly. Because this is the new Exodus, and you're going to smear the blood on your on your doorposts. Exactly. In the form of the Eucharist. Yeah, and just to wrap it up, the uh, the apostles want to do what? They want to make some booths. There are tents. It says. Why do they want to do that? Well, there's there's some ancient guesses that when this is happening, you can kind of look at the time frame of the Gospels. Mm-hmm. This actually might have been around the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, <coughs> which Excuse was me. the time that they the Jewish people remembered the Exodus when they dwelt in tents out in the wilderness. So the way, and, and modern Jews still do this today, they'll build little tabernacles, shakot, and they'll dwell in these tents during these days of the festival. So there's reason to believe it actually might have been the Feast of Booths. And so they're like, oh, this is the place to spend the festival. Let's build the tents here. Let's build these booths. Let's hang out here. And she says, no, we, we got to go. What was the significance of the Feast of Booths? What was it for? It was to remember. So they literally would leave their houses and they would go and dwell in a tent. And they would remember that there was a time in our history before we had Jerusalem, before we were settled here, before we had a temple, that God's presence itself actually lived in a tent. And we have to remember how humble that was and how beautiful that was that he sojourned with us. And he lived in a tent. And so we will remember that by living in tents for a period of time. And that was that was the feast. That was the festival. That's awesome. Yeah, it was. It's cool. So it's a feast of the presence of the Lord. You Basically. know, I, I I tried to last year. I tried to uh, for my Lenten penance. I wanted to sleep in a tent for the forty nice. days of Lent. And <laughs> how'd the, that go? The first night, I got like wicked sick. Oh. Just just horrible. I have a tendency to the beginning of Lent just knocks me out every out. year. And it's that's probably Fat Tuesday that does it. No, nah, man. I, no, I'm dude, just kidding. Dude, 
hey, I didn't have any excess. I was sick Did on Fat Tuesday. Oh, yeah. that's the worst. Yeah, so I, I was... had so many cupcakes, you wouldn't <laughs> made your head spin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is... and But I'll tell you, you combine all these elements together for Peter, James, and John, mm-hmm. and they're going to freak out because what they're realizing, they know their scriptures. And so yeah. they ascend up to the top of the mountain. The voice of God comes... And uh, the uh, uh, smoke, uh, the clouds surrounding, you hear the voice of God, and they're recognizing that this is actually a mirror image of what takes place on Mount Sinai. Totally. And and so they're hearing the voice of God and and like... I mean, I I don't even know. I mean, how how do you like... it's, It's like experiencing... Everything that you think about and are anticipating, but having it happen right now, and in and and alive. I mean, they must have just flipped out. Flipped out. You can see Peter. He he kind of goes like, oh, he's he goes bing bong on you, man. Well, you know why I think God does this, though. I think, and to bring it full circle, I think this is the connection to the first reading. I think what what God Jesus is asking the apostles to do is come with me to Jerusalem. You don't know where I'm going. You don't. You clearly don't understand what's going to take place there. Your eyes are blind to it. Mm. And so who knows? Maybe they're they're in a, kind of a pit at this point. Maybe they're really frustrated and they're struggling. They don't really understand where they're going. Just like Abram didn't know where he was going. He couldn't see it. So God opens their eyes for a few minutes. He's like, mm. no, let me, let me show you. Let me just give you a glance into what I'm doing here. Well, you guys, we are so excited that you're here with us and that you got to spend this last uh, 35 30, 45 minutes. We'll see what happens. I don't don't get to see the computer. So we're really happy that you spent this time with us. Stick with us uh, through this Lent and may it form your hearts and your mind. And um, yeah, and enjoy this song because it's a good song. Amen. We'll see you next week. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.